Hey y'all, before we begin, I want to share with you that my online course, The Neurodiverse Classroom, is available now for elementary teachers. You can enroll anytime at learnwithdremily.com slash teachers. I created this course because every classroom is already a neurodiverse classroom. You became a teacher because you love watching students thrive, but you're starting to question if you can meet the needs of such a diverse group of learners. I see you. You are emotionally exhausted, especially after the past three years, but you're not alone and I'm here to help. So if you're ready to learn how to connect with every student and unlock their spark for learning again, sign up at learnwithdremily.com slash teachers. That's learnwithdremily.com slash teachers. Okay, y'all, let's start the show. Hey, y'all. Welcome to Learn with Dr. Emily, the podcast where parents and teachers come together for neurodivergent youth. I'm your host, Dr. Emily King, former school psychologist and current child psychologist specializing in raising and teaching children and teens diagnosed with autism, ADHD, anxiety, learning disabilities, and or giftedness, any of the things that might make learning a little bit trickier for them. Each week, I share my thoughts on a topic related to psychology, parenting, school, or parent-teacher collaboration, which you can read on my blog or listen in here. If you want to learn more about me and my online resources for parents and teachers, just visit www.learnwithdremily.com. So let's get started. This week, I'm talking about how to tell the difference between a lagging skill or learned helplessness. So I often hear this question from parents and teachers mostly described as, is it a can't or a won't? Like, will I not want to do it? Or can I actually not do it because I don't have the skill? So let's dive into this. In my work with parents raising neurodivergent kids, one of the most common questions I get is, how do I know what is their disability and what is just refusal? We have to remember that when children and adults, like all humans, refuse to do something, there's usually a reason beyond just leaving the person who is asking you to do it feeling frustrated. When a child resists a task, they're often fatigued, unmotivated, disinterested, or the task is just too hard or too fast. So let's look beyond non-compliance, quote unquote, non-compliance, to uncover what's really going on underneath. When parenting children with asynchronous skills, which you've probably heard me talk about before, there's no specific timeline of milestones to follow. It's impossible really to predict when a certain skill will develop. So we have to reframe our expectations from chronological time to developmental time. So instead of thinking my child should be able to do this because they're 12 years old, think my child seems ready to unload the dishwasher independently because they haven't needed my help with this task in months. So as parents and teachers supporting neurodivergent children in a very standardized world, it's our job to help them meet their full potential by flexing the expectations to meet them just beyond their comfort zone, but not so far that their overwhelm leads to shutdown. So finding this balance is what takes so much practice for parents and teachers. It's one of the most important things though, and the ways that we can really show up for our kids. And it's what I'm most passionate about talking about. So before explaining this further, I want to acknowledge the children and families who are currently in survival mode. 
My own family has been through seasons of survival mode when you can't teach a skill because you are surviving. You are in a survival state because you're trying to get your child to stop hitting or start eating or to sleep enough or just to just get out of the car and go into the school building. These are big necessary goals in the life of a child. And these goals of daily independence and learning academic skills tend to go by the wayside until the essential goals of routine and safety are stabilized. So we have to think about that first, if that speaks to you as a season of your life that you're in currently. Not a lot of learning can happen if you are in a survival state. So focus on stabilization and getting out of that survival state first before you dive into the things we're talking about in this week's blog and podcast. But once the dust settles, and it will settle, Parents and teachers often struggle to set expectations for neurodivergent children, and the reason is twofold. First, when we've seen a child struggle repeatedly with developmental skills, we can think, why would I cause them to struggle more by not helping them put their jacket on to go outside, for instance? And secondly, if a child is quick to have an emotional outburst and likely go into fight or flight at the site of a challenge... We may have been conditioned to lower our expectations to calm the outburst. And that is just because you're human. We are wired for safety and we'd have to just think about our response to that. So at times parents will do anything to avoid another outburst because it's so emotionally difficult for everyone involved. I've been there myself. But we need to be careful not to enable. For example, even when a child is capable of independence, Her initial protests may trigger something in her parents that remind them of an intense meltdown in the past. They want to avoid the emotions, so they quickly help to avoid the emotional reaction because helping makes the emotional response reduce. But if they help her sometimes and require independence at other times, the child isn't receiving clear messaging on expectations, which can make limit setting harder later. So the best strategy to figure out figure this out is to figure out is it a can't which I define as a lagging skill like they literally don't have that skill yet or is it a won't which is learned helplessness I have learned that it is just easier for you to do it for me and I'm just not going to do it even though underneath it somewhere they have that skill so let's talk about the difference between lagging skill and learned helplessness at times we do need to pick our battles but consistently giving in can lead to learned helplessness so learned helplessness evolves when we've conditioned our children to expect us to do something for them and therefore they don't even try doing it themselves. I fell into this trap myself when we were always in a rush out the door in the morning and I was helping my then four-year-old son with his shoes so we could get going. One morning he was lying on the floor whining but I just can't do it without you and it was his intense dramatization in that moment that got my attention and I thought of course you can I just haven't expected you to or taught you how. So we build we have to build an extra time so I I built an extra time for him to put his shoes on by himself which of course took longer and I stood nearby coaching him and encouraging him on how to do it validating his frustration along the way. This led to him feeling more proud when he was able to do it instead of helpless. So yes, we were absolutely late some days. And if time is important to your family and it's not doable during the week, practice these emerging skills of independence on the weekends and wait until the skill is automatic for your child. They're doing it without even thinking to include it in the weekday morning routine. 
Hey y'all, I'm excited to announce that registration is now open for my summer workshops for elementary educators. We will be joining each other live via Zoom on Wednesday mornings in July to learn about reframing behavior, designing social emotional lesson plans, how to write social stories that work, and also how to teach children about each other's neurodiversity. To learn more, go to learnwithdremily.com slash summer. Now back to the show. So learned helplessness can also look like a middle school child not writing down an assignment because they know that you'll be able to look it up online for them or not confronting their teacher about a test grade in high school because they know you'll email the teacher and handle the situation. So you know your child best. If you step back and think, my child could learn how to do this if I coached them, then it's likely learned helplessness and it's time to start teaching. But when it's a lagging skill connected to asynchronous development, how do we know? Your best answer for this is to follow the profile determined in a developmental or psychoeducational evaluation. It's one of the reasons evaluations are so important. Once you understand a child's strengths and needs for support, you'll know where you can push for independence and where to teach. But we don't all have an evaluation of our child or there is a really long wait list of trying to get an evaluation for your child. So even without an evaluation, here's how to tell. If you push too hard on a lagging skill, a child will likely become defeated and give up, leading to emotional stress and negative self-talk. So if you hear negative self-talk, it's likely a lagging skill. And just to add to the confusion, it may not be the lagging skill you think. So I see this often when consulting with teachers. If a child's complaining about doing schoolwork, but you know they understand the academic work, the lagging skill might actually be an executive functioning skill, like their ability to pay attention at that time of day or completing work that is not of interest to them. Or they may understand the concepts, but struggle with fine motor weakness to write their responses. So let's get curious and figure out what is getting in the way of initiating and completing the task. So how do we find our child's range of independence? So every child has their own range and each range of this independence could be different for different skills. It could be, you know, different for reading than it is for fine motor. It could be different for math than it is for cooking or art, the arts or anything. So I agree with what Jessica Leahy says, the author of The Gift of Failure when she recommends that figuring out what your child can do is where you start, and then you help them put their toes slightly over that line into the next more challenging skill. I often break this down into three categories. The first category would be independence. Think about what your child can do without any support. They are you know, set to be able to do it on their own. You can expect them to do this within the family or in the classroom because it is mastered. So think about things like, if your child can get dressed on their own. There was a time that they couldn't get dressed on their own, but if that's a mastered skill now, you're not even helping them with that. That's independence. And then the second category is learning. So what is your child learning? They can do it, but they need coaching on it. They need strategies to complete it. Your child may receive external rewards while they're learning these skills to promote motivation until they're intrinsically motivated by the satisfied feeling of accomplishing it independently, which then it gets bumped into the independence category. The third category is a lagging skill. What is your child not yet capable of doing developmentally? So there are tasks that 
you're not even asking them to do yet because it's a lagging skill that they haven't developed. These are much clearer and chronological development of milestones, but when you are following a neurodivergent child's development, it's harder to predict. They may be able to do really advanced things and then really struggle in other areas. So you have to just follow what you think they can do or what you think they're not capable of yet. If it's a lagging skill and we're expecting them to do it, they will likely feel defeated if they receive a consequence or don't earn a reward for doing this skill. They may engage in negative self-talk, become avoidant to the task. They may argue with us about it because not trying is actually easier than trying and failing. So expect a child to independently do what they're already capable of without support. Your child will likely need coaching and external rewards at first when learning and practicing new skills. But when a lagging skill is emerging, move it to the learning list. Same goes for learning skills. When your child masters that skill and they no longer need to be externally rewarded for it, move it to the independence list. Then they will feel intrinsically rewarded by feeling proud of themselves. And this is much more powerful in the long term than any points, dollars, or prizes you can provide. So more on the importance of motivation next week, including my thoughts on clip charts, PBIS, and the best ways to collect behavioral data at school. So until then, let's stay connected. For parents, more on this topic, go deeper in my online course, Parenting on Your Own Path, which you can get at learnwithdremily.com slash parents. Teachers, for more resources like this, um, go ahead and get on the waiting list for my upcoming online course that's out in November called The Neurodiverse Classroom, and you can hop on the waiting list at learnwithdremily.com slash teachers.